Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rebuilding Rutgers from the Ashes is produced by NJ Advanced Media. Subscribe and listen to the show at nj.com slash podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter by using hashtag RebuildingRutgers. When Patrick Hobbs was hired as Rutgers' new athletic director, he made fundraising a priority. Hobbs knew that if Rutgers wanted to be a player in the Big Ten, it needed to up its incoming donations significantly. The Scarlet Knights needed better facilities, better resources, and better support. What Rutgers needed, what Hobbs wanted, was $100 million. Welcome to Rebuilding Rutgers from the Ashes. I'm Joe Gillio. In this episode, we go in-depth with Patrick Hobbs about his fundraising plan and introduce you to some of the deep-pocketed donors who give money to the Rutgers football program. These donors may never don a Scarlet Knights uniform, but they play a significant role in Rutgers' future. Here is NJ Advanced Media reporter Keith Sargent. There was a moment in early 2015 that epitomized Rutgers' struggles to attract big-money donors to its athletics program. Rutgers fundraisers had gathered a group of boosters to the Yogi Berra Museum in Montclair. They were hoping to generate the balance of a $3.3 million indoor facility for the baseball and softball programs. A video designed to inspire the donor base was aired, and a top Rutgers fundraiser stood up and shouted, Now who's ready to write a check? The response? Crickets. It's no wonder, then, that Rutgers today finds itself with some of the most outdated athletics facilities in the Big Ten in most of its 24 sports. In his first press conference as Rutgers AD last December, Patrick Hobbs declared an economic emergency. We're not where we need to be. I, listen, um, one of the things that I, it would be great if some of you folks would do is uh, go benchmark a little bit for us. Take a picture of some of the facilities that are out there in the Big Ten and compare them where we are right now. Uh, we're not where we need to be. Thanks to seven-figure donations from two key donors, Rutgers was able to build the baseball and softball facility, now located next to the rack on the Livingston campus. But any Rutgers insider will tell you it was a struggle to generate even the most modest of financial pledges during an 18-month fundraising drive. Coming up, we'll introduce you to the most influential people who are trying to lift Rutgers into the upper crust of the Big Ten by writing big checks. Some names are probably familiar. Others, likely not. But first, let's go back to Rutgers' fundraising troubles. How did the university get into this mess? Through a series of fundraising embarrassments. In 2008, Rutgers approved a plan for a $102 million renovation of his football stadium. The initiative, fueled by then-Rutgers football coach Greg Schiano and A.D. Bob Mulcahy, was a signal that the Scarlet Knights were ready to battle on college football's proverbial arms race. 
where gaudy football facilities can be a difference maker in landing top-flight recruits. Problem was, the school was counting on $30 million from private sources to finance the 12,000-seat expansion. After the initial call for donations fell flat, Governor John Corzine and State Senator Ray Lesniak pledged to raise the $30 million needed. But less than a year later, even with Governor Corzine agreeing to donate $1 million out of his own pocket, the fundraising initiative reportedly fell about $20 million short of a skull. The stadium was expanded, but not before critics blasted Rutgers for borrowing $100 million for the project. Lesniak remembers it well. Well, I do remember. Um, way back then, there was a lot of uh, self-doubting uh, on, on the board of governors about any expansion because of the uh, there was some uh, adverse publicity by the ledger. They did a a, um, a expose, so to speak, on the finances finances of the athletic department, which weren't in good shape at that time. And um, and there was a lot of trepidation of moving forward. But uh, Governor Corzine and I were able to uh, convince them. Uh, and without that, we, we would still be stuck in Never Never Land. In his previous role as a law school dean at Seton Hall, Hobbs had completed a $25 million campaign over a five-year period that university officials called the largest and most successful fundraising initiative in the department's history. But in order to accomplish his stated goal at Rutgers, he would need four times that amount, and he wouldn't have five years to do so. Also keep in mind, he toiled in relative obscurity at Seton Hall. Now, Rutgers insiders, fans, and media would be keeping score of his progress, meaning failure would be met with criticism from every direction. His predecessors refused to say publicly what the fundraising goals were because they feared falling short. Why, then, would Hobbs push forward on a $100 million drive he's calling the Our Big Ten Build? And why would he say the number out loud? Because we need it, right? We need it. Uh, and so you step into a situation, and we're in the Big Ten. I know the resources that they have. Um, I had actually not toured the facilities, uh, so I actually didn't know sort of how wide the gap actually was uh, between what we have in facilities. Um, but I knew the only way that we're going to close that is we've got to go out there and, and we've got to raise money. And I think part of it was an assumption on my part, which turned out to be right, and that is that we have a very, very big uh, alumni base that they are passionate about Rutgers University. There is capacity there. And maybe um, some of them haven't been asked. Some of them had been asked. Some of them had been, um, you know, what Sarah did, I think, um, which also was very different than what had been done previously, was uh, she and her team spent time sort of laying out um, their vision and their plan for Rutgers um, and demonstrating that there was this big resource gap uh, that we had to close. And um, so, when you came in, I, I know I can't wait two or three or four years to say, I'm going to get to know everybody. Uh, I'm going to get to really um, do some benchmarking against other institutions. No, the heck with that. We've got almost a half a million alums. Many of them have done incredibly well. Their care and their passion about Rutgers. So we should be able to raise $100 million and, frankly, more than $100 million. I mean, that's not going to be the end of it. The $100 million is to get these first few projects going um, and get those first few projects out of the ground. And then when people see what that investment um, results in, more people will come in and say, okay, people want to invest in, in success. They want to invest in winners. And so um, that's what we're about right now. And, and we're going to struggle. There's going to be, as we go through and our programs get rebuilt and everything else, there will be those challenges. But as long as they see 
that what we've said we're going to do, we're executing on, we're going to build, bring those buildings out of the ground, those buildings are going to have an impact um, that's different than we've had in the past, then the next wave of people come off the sidelines and the next wave of people after that. Um, and so this is not a, a two or three or four year building project. This is, a, this is going to take a decade to do everything we need to do. The Sarah that Hobbs was referring to is Sarah Baumgartner. She is the deputy AD who was appointed chief athletics fundraiser by former AD Julie Herman in the midst of one of the most tumultuous times in the school's history. Baumgartner's first few months were spent trying to convince donors to buy into Herman's vision. Many were still shocked by the Mike Rice bullying scandal and angered by the ouster of popular AD Tim Pernetti. You know, I wouldn't say it was difficult. I think the biggest thing I got here was to make sure that our team, so our team that was raising money for us, was grounded, that they trusted me. I mean, I was a new leader hired by Julie, so they had to trust me. They had to, you know, believe in what I thought would be the right vision for the fundraising arm of athletics. And so it was honestly the first thing we did was just get our team together on the same page, aligned. From that point, you know, we laid out our three years, how we're going to get to where we need to be in terms of some of our key priorities. We really clarified those priorities. I think we had a lot of different approaches to fundraising. We hadn't really set a truly a great plan, like with some strategy behind it. And so I think once the team saw the plan and then they got out there and could start selling that plan, for me, I think, you know, as I saw the donors and started meeting with them, um, they had they started having a little bit of confidence in terms of just a plan. So I don't know if it was necessarily... Um, it probably was a lot more difficult than I'm actually thinking back now as I look into it. But it, it was, um, you know, I think it was an opportunity. That's why I came to Rutgers, because the opportunity was tremendous. We put together a great plan, great people, made a couple of really key hires as well that really helped stabilize the donor base. So Andy Sisti got up, brought on board. Marco Battaglia, we brought him on board. I think that also showed the Rutgers faithful in the community that, you know what, this is going to be a Rutgers family that does this and does it together. And it was the, those were some key moments for us that we got some early success and, again, built more confidence and the snowball started growing and, and we you know had some great success in the first couple of years. Hobbs and Baumgartner credit the donor base as a reason why Rutgers was able to surpass the $31 million milestone in 15 weeks. Hobbs said nearly 1,600 people contributed to the R Big Ten build since last January, and that includes nearly 300 five-figure gifts and a dozen donations of $1 million or more. Board of Governors Chairman Greg Brown and his wife Anna were among the three families who pledged the three largest gifts in Rutgers Athletics history late last spring. Brown is one of the school's top donors, and his name is on the recruiting pavilion inside Rutgers Football Stadium. In a rare interview, Brown explained why he was among the first major boosters to write a seven-figure check. The $11 million from you, Towers, Plofker, and Bobby Brown families, great start to the build, Big Ten build. Uh, was it more than that, though? Was it a show of faith in Pat Hobbs that he's going to get this done? Was it a message to other donors? Absolutely. All of the above. Uh, I think that um, Pat Hobbs is uh, the perfect athletic director at the perfect time. He's a great blend of uh, academic, law, business, and sports. He's got sound judgment. Uh, he's tireless. He understands New Jersey. Um, he uh, has a sensitivity around the political landscape in Trenton, while also knowledgeable and very comfortable with the media in the New York, New Jersey marketplace. And he connects. Um, he's an electric guy who's personable with a lot of substance, who will do what he says he's going to do, uh, and he's an implementer. So he has made a number of changes. It absolutely, Keith, was as much about Pat Hobbs uh, and Chris Ash and Steve Peichel. Um, it's the new regime. 
that I think Rutgers now is very well poised to pursue its entry into the Big Ten. A 1982 Rutgers graduate, Brown is the CEO of Illinois-based Motorola Solutions. He has a pair of American presidents in his Rolodex, having served both President Obama and George W. Bush. He had a hand in the school's decision to fire Julie Herman and football coach Kyle Flood last November. Brown's goal is to arm his chief appointees with the tools to be successful. For Rutgers Athletics, it starts with facilities, facilities, and did we mention facilities? I think it's important. I think it's very important. And look, we don't uh, need to have over-the-top facilities like some of the major Division I programs, but you, you said it right. Rutgers joined the Big Ten, and when we joined the Big Ten and the CIC on the academic side, we inherently said we're making a commitment to compete. And to compete, you need uh, facilities that allow you to recruit and attract and provide a level of, uh, of modern training, nutrition, um, and allow these athletes to condition themselves both physically and mentally. So I think that the Rutgers football stadium uh, generally is in good shape through the most recent uh, construction that was done several years ago. Having said that, I think that the training room, uh, the locker room, a, a reconfiguration of the facilities would be important to uh, be more modern, be more efficient, and have the staff and the athletes be more productive while also serving as a magnet for recruiting. Obviously, the multi-purpose sports facility is critically important, um, uh, sorely needed. I applaud uh, Senator Lesniak and the legislators in New Jersey for working with Rutgers to make that happen. I think the $100 million uh, big build is appropriate. I think it's a call to action. Um, I think it's a reflection of Pat Hobbs and the commitment of Bob Barchi. You don't solve a problem by running away from it, you run to it. And I think he's highlighted it, outlined it, explained it, and created an enthusiastic vision which we and other donors can get behind. So what inspired Brown to become a donor to Rutgers Athletics? What first drew me in was Greg Schiano. Uh, it was probably his first or second year on the job. He was the youngest Division I coach in the country. I remember meeting him at the stadium, and we took a walk, and he described his vision of what he thought Rutgers could become. I hadn't contributed, I don't think, anything to Rutgers at the time. That was a long time ago. But certainly what initially drew me in was his drive, intensity, and passion uh, for a Jersey guy that I thought was fully committed to, to changing the landscape of Rutgers football, and it was exciting. And your first major donation was to the recruiting lounge? No, I think, well, it depends on how you conclude or how you assess major. Yeah, the, the, uh, the first seven-digit donation was to the recruiting lounge. I gave before that in other amounts, but I remember Greg calling me. I was out in Cape Cod and said uh, over the summer, and he said, I need you. I need you. We need to build this uh, recruiting pavilion, and uh, I really need you to go all in. It's the first time he ever asked and um, we responded, my wife Anna and I responded in kind with another uh, donor that uh, ultimately uh, was reflected in the construction of the recruiting pavilion. Like Greg Brown, Ron Garuti is a Rutgers donor who's shaping the athletics department. A longtime member of the university's board of trustees, Garuti serves on a committee that provides oversight on a department that includes 24 sports, more than 600 athletes, and a $75 million budget. Garuti is a 1967 Rutgers graduate. He built his wealth both as a pediatrician and in the pharmaceutical industry. He and his wife Joanna covered nearly the entire price tag on a $1.65 million strength and conditioning center for the football team. 
I love Rutgers, Keith. Uh, my wife and I have, have been donating to Rutgers for years, and we've contributed to um, personnel salaries, coaches' salaries, uh, scholarships, and with the new administration in athletics under Pat Hobbs, who we all know is a very impressive guy, he inspires a lot of confidence in the future of Rutgers athletics. We met Coach Ash. Actually, it was National Signing Day um, when we made the commitment to uh, donate the money for the new Strength and Conditioning Center. Uh, we bought into Coach Ash's vision for Rutgers football and the Strength and Conditioning Coach Kenny Parker. They have a real uh, vision for how our student athletes need to be trained not just on the physical things about moving weights around, but uh, mentally and emotionally and emphasizing competition. So uh, we decided we wanted to do something that would help a lot of student athletes and our gift now, which we told, I told the players a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to them at the ribbon cutting ceremony, this gift is our gift to you. We've had a lot of thank yous over the past few months and they're wonderful. People come up to us and just say, yeah, thank you for the gift. And I told the players that I want them to look at the Strength and Conditioning Center as our gift to them because they really work hard and they do a lot on behalf of Rutgers. When I was here, I always like to tell people we were playing Lehigh, Lafayette, and Bucknell. And I never could have dreamed that we would be in the Big Ten. We're in the Big Ten now. We have everything in place to be successful. We're in the right conference. We have the right athletic director. We have the right coaches. And now is the time. And I like to talk about this being a window of opportunity. Windows don't stay open forever. Um, the Rutgers donor base, the Rutgers fan base has to step up. Uh, we're playing in the big leagues now. We're sending our kids out to play against the best players in the country. And we need to have facilities that go along with competing at that level. And that's why I think it's the time. There's an urgency to now. We've got to get some of the buildings that are in our uh, athletic strategic plan built. And I would encourage all Rutgers fans, please come out, make a contribution, support your, your team, support your university, so that we can compete at the highest level of college athletics. On the heels of a breakthrough football season in 2006, Rutgers reported a then-record $5.8 million in contributions. A decade later, that number nearly tripled to $14.4 million, despite mediocre results on the field and an array of controversies off the field. But if you're wondering why Hobbs is optimistic that Rutgers will be able to complete the $100 million fundraising drive, it's because in just 15 weeks, Rutgers collected $31 million in private gifts. On November 1st, Rutgers landed an $18 million investment from RWJ Barnabas. And while school officials did not call it a fundraising gift, CEO Barry Ostrowski compared it to recent partnerships with the New Jersey Devils and Seton Hall Athletics. We are a New Jersey enterprise. We are committed to making New Jersey a better place to live and ensuring that we can invest in our communities in New Jersey. Obviously, Rutgers is the biggest, uh, as I said before, an internationally renowned educational organization and scientific research organization. So for us, it's about choosing partners. And so we think by being a partner of Rutgers at every level, uh, we will be pursuing our mission to make New Jersey better. In this particular case, it focuses on sports medicine and wellness, ensuring that student athletes have the very best when it comes to their needs. So to us, it's just another indication, we hope, of our committed mission to New Jersey. 
In all, Rutgers has nearly 9,500 people in its donor pool. School officials say about 80% of them gave gifts of $1,000 or less. I think it's the same whether you are somebody who's had great success and you sit on uh, a lot of resources or you are somebody who is um, writing a check out of your, your weekly paycheck. Um, it, it goes back to, again, impactful, right? Um, mm -hmm. Those who've done really well in life have done well in life because they've invested well and they've made good decisions about where to put those dollars um, to have success. Um, whether it's growing their own wealth or it's building a company when they employ lots of people, um, they want to invest in winners. So our challenge um, and what we try to do every day is say, here's how we're going to use our, your resources. Uh, you've done very, very well in life. We need you to make that reach gift now. This is the time, if you truly care about Rutgers, to make that impactful gift. Uh, and so for many, what we're asking them to consider is the largest gift that they have ever made or considered making, and maybe at a factor or multiple of five or ten times their largest previous gift. That's a big ask. And so, uh, but I think and I believe that we're making the case for why that should take place and take place now, and I think that's why we've had the success that we've had. According to Rutgers' most recent fundraising report, there are about 50 members of the Scarlet Society. That includes anyone who donated $50,000 in 2016 or $1 million in their lifetime. Dom Uso is on the list, and unlike many of the top donors, he didn't graduate from Rutgers. He jokes that he catches hell from Rutgers boosters for having graduated from Villanova. I think Rutgers has been kind of a, uh, it's been underappreciated for what it is and, and what it brings to the table. Getting into the V1G is much bigger than just football. I mean, you know, it, the academics truly is a big, big thing. And um, but from our perspective, you know, we, we need to do our part. We need to be, we, we need to uh, help uh, all of our programs be competitive. And, you know, when you look at that, we've got a ton. Rutgers has just a ton of alums. We just need to get them all active. We need to get all the businesses in New Jersey involved and active. It was great. It was just great to see, um, you know, the $10 million gift that just uh, came through. We need more and more local New Jersey businesses to step up. Muso owns eight New Jersey-based companies. He began donating to Rutgers in the early 2000s. Even though he's topped $1 million in gifts over the past decade, you won't see his name on the side of any new facilities. That's because his money goes to the Rutgers Leadership Academy, a privately funded program that teaches life skills to athletes. Well, I did a lot of reading uh, back in the mid-2004, 2005 time period. I was kind of amazed at the number of pro athletes who wind up uh, not having a nickel to their name within two or three years after leaving you know, the, the professional ranks. And I was also kind of amazed at how many uh, really top-notch college athletes uh, struggle when when they get out of school. You know, many, many just are very, very successful, but there's a lot that struggle. So that got me interested in the life skills, and uh, you know, so I, I kind of started there. And now, I you know, I also give a lot to Villanova. So uh, now at Villanova, I endowed the Clay Center, and down at Villanova, I do have, uh, I've, I've, uh, I guess, I have four or five scholarships down there. So. For me, it's just about making making the world a little bit better place, kind of giving back to people that helped me. Um, you know, and, and Rutgers is a state university, so you know, my whole family's here, my companies are here, and we, we need to rally around the flag. And, and we should. We should be damn proud of what we have. John Newman has also taken a broader approach toward donating. 
He gives five figures annually to Arvision, the school's digital media production that airs games. Because my dad and I were connected and because we found it difficult, you know, before ESPN apps and before you can watch everything on streaming, uh, to allow my money to um, be targeted to something that would enable uh, people to be able to watch no matter where they were. And what is is morphed into now with the coming of social media is this is how universities and organizations communicate directly with uh, all their constituencies. They create content, a lot of it is video, and to see that morph into that over time, now our vision has become a production house, not only for content, for Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, all those types of things, but also that is the in-house production house that produces games for BTN to go and for BTN Plus. It allows students to get involved. And having been involved on the student side in the student media when I was here, that was just natural for me. Newman is a public relations professional who lives in Virginia. His earliest records memories are from attending games with his dad in the late 60s. His passion grew when he worked at the Rutgers student radio station in the late 1970s. You know, I think uh, as people decide what they want to do, sometimes it's more important not how much money you uh, donate, but where you put those energies. You know, the reason why we wanted to do it for our vision is we could make an impact not only for people who wanted to see games from outside of the area, but for coaches at the Olympic sports, for folks who... Um, are considering going to Rutgers and their families want to watch games. So from a recruiting standpoint, uh, it was a pretty big deal, especially for the Olympic sports coaches, that they were able to have people see their games uh, from as far away as Europe. Newman was one of the first 25 members of a crowdfunding initiative called the Captain's Program, a campaign designed for donors to take ownership in inspiring others to pledge a monthly gift for five years. It's one of the many grassroots efforts for the $100 million Rutgers Big Ten build. You know, I think the biggest thing is that we want a lot of owners in this process, right? We talked about family in the very beginning in terms of uh, a couple years ago when I got here. So I think part of it is that we, you know, we have a limited team in terms of how big we can go, how many people can we touch, you know, every day. And so when we've recruited these captains. Uh, it's, 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 again, talk about symbolism. It's, it's more, it's not about the dollars, it's about participation, it's about the voices that are out there talking about the story. And peer-to-peer -peer is such a powerful conversation when, you, know, you have a donor that's talking to a prospective donor, uh, and they can say, I'm in, I raise my hand, I'm investing, and why don't you do it? So I think that that peer-to-peer -peer aspect is powerful, and we're trying to, you know, we want to grow that to 100 captains and hopefully more. But I just think ultimately it comes back to having more owners in this process, people who feel like they've invested, they believe in it, they want to be part of it. And so the more people we get in in doing that and then sharing the story for us, the better off we'll be. It's just casting the net wider. Margaret Sherman is one of the top fundraisers for the captain's program. One conversation at a football tailgate, and it's easy to see why. Her passion for giving is topped only by her desire to have the best tailgate in the blue lot. For the Michigan game, she purchased an additional tailgating spot just so a band could set up a stage and play live music. And she's not even a Rutgers alum. No, my husband's a Rutgers alum. Okay. I didn't know anything about Rutgers football until I met my husband almost 14 years ago. Okay. And he asked me to come to a football game. And I was like, oh, college football. I wasn't even a college football fan. And I got here, and I've always loved the color red. I like to tailgate, and I like to cook. And, and here I am, and I've become a, a donor 
a captain fundraiser. I'm the queen of tailgating, I, and I am truly like the rah-rah person. I, I don't ever almost say anything negative about Rutgers and get down. I always look at the glasses half full and see the positive side of it all. I'm not a $10 a month person, but I'm not a $5,000 a month person. I mean, I'm somewhere in there. I think that we're the average person. I mean, I've, I've got a mortgage. I've got a kid in pharmacy school. I don't have, you know, I'd like to retire someday. So I don't have, you know, I love the Garudis. I think it's fabulous that they're able to donate a million and a half dollars for a weight room. I would love to be able to do that, but I can't. So that's their legacy. And I'd like to, I'd like to know that I did a little bit of something. Um, and that's why I never ask my donors what they're donating because I don't care. It's not my business. I love the fact that they're willing to help, they're willing to donate, and that's all that's really important because every little bit does help. It's a philosophy echoed by Greg Brown, who believes there's never been a better time to give to Rutgers Athletics. You should donate to Rutgers Athletics if you believe in it, um, and if it has an emotional connection to you and you believe that this concept of the student-athlete is important. If you don't believe in the student-athlete, you shouldn't. But Rutgers has you know, the eighth oldest school in the country, 67,000 students strong. It's our 250th anniversary. Obama just came and did the uh, first time we've ever had a sitting president do the commencement. Uh, we're implementing the strategic plan. Barchi's in his fifth year. And we've got now the leadership team on the athletic side under Bob that I think, I think reflects Rutgers' commitment uh, and seriousness to this multi-decade journey. And it's, it, you couldn't pick a better time to jump in right now and, and get behind Rutgers Athletics. Keith, the one thing I took out of that was just how far Rutgers was behind to where they're trying to go now. For you, as this whole process played out and you talked to all these different people, did you realize how far they were behind and where they're trying to get to now? I mean, how, how much have they closed the gap on this goal they have? I did realize how far they were behind because if you think about it, a decade ago, they were raising money at about an $8 million a year clip. That was a high watermark. Now they're about $14 million, you know, a year ago. Um, in, in comparison to Ohio State, Michigan, a lot of the Big Ten programs are well over $20, $25, 30000000 million in, in fundraising. You know, it's clear. I mean, you know, during Julie Herman's tenure, one of the big thing questions was, well, how many seven-figure checks has, has she raised? And to my knowledge, to anyone who really knew Julie, even the proponents of Julie, Everyone conceded that she did not get one check for over a million dollars during her three years. So, yeah, you could tell that they were far behind. Now, I bet a lot of our listeners right now really are in tune with this and pay attention to how much Rutgers can raise. But some probably aren't, right? This is a little bit foreign to them. So I'll just ask this question to you because I think it's a base question. Maybe our listeners for this episode need to know. How important is this You know, to winning and, and being a sustainable Big Ten program to have big-time fundraising? At a school like Rutgers, it's vital. Um, it's no secret that they're well beyond, uh, behind the Michigans, Ohio States, and in, in the facilities ar- arms race. Their operational budget is $75 million. They're relying on a huge subsidy, which is anywhere between 20 and $35 million. Uh, there are people throughout the university community who want that subsidy to be cut well in half. It's not going to get to that point until 2021, until the Big Ten money the checks start rolling in. In order to, to make up for that shortfall, in order to pay for operational support for scholarships and obviously for facilities, they need to rely on, on donors, on big checks. There's no way, quite frankly, that they're going to be able to build these facilities that they want to do without getting a huge amount of, of fundraising, probably over $100 million. 
When you had all these conversations, Keith, with all of these donors, and, and sometimes their spouses as well and people with them, what stood out to you? Because this is, they're fascinating to me. And I think to a lot of fans, you know, the people who donate to these programs who have the money to do it and really care about the program so much, what struck you about these people? Did they just care that much and they have the resources to, to help? Yes. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Their passion, um, their, you know, their love for Rutgers. Now, keep in mind that the most influential people at Rutgers are board of governors, board of trustees. These are the decision makers at, you know, at the school. And essentially, a board of governor or board of trustee, they're a donor. That's what they are. They, they've been given these high power positions that have a lot of influence at the university because they've given large amounts of money. Now, of those board of governors, I would say probably a handful are athletics donors. A year ago, while throughout the entire, you know, Julie Herman, you know, mess and Kyle Flood, despite, you know, all the player arrests and, you know, all the, you know, public embarrassments with Julie Herman, there were still people who had written huge amount of checks who were influential people who were board of governors who could not separate the idea that Rutgers was creating their own mess and that they loved Rutgers so much that they blamed the media for, for a lot of it. I was getting a whole lot of your part of the blame. So to answer your question, I think the one thing that really stood out was just the passion and how many of these people who you know write these big checks bleed scarlet. The one name that we didn't in here and there that I think a lot of people listening right now, a lot of Rutgers fans are familiar with, they've heard his name, they know of him, Jeff Towers. Tell us about Jeff Towers, who he is, what he does, and maybe why we didn't hear from him in this particular episode. Jeff Towers is a booster, who, who a donor. You know, he and Amy Towers came onto the scene. I believe the time frame was late in 2013. Uh, they, they were really inspired to donate to, to the football program, to Kyle Flood. They became really close with Kyle Flood. Um, at one point in early 2015, Kyle Flood tried to make Jeff Towers his recruiting coordinator. And even though it was probably kosher, you know, uh, per NCAA rules, there was a backlash. We reported it first, and uh, essentially he didn't become the recruiting coordinator. So he was ticked off at us for that. But the funny thing is, Joe, is Jeff Towers, there are people who really think the world of him. And if you, you think about just a, a donor in a nutshell— they love Rutgers. And clearly, by, just by his actions and, and the money that he's given, the fact that he's giving upwards of over $5 million, you know, it really speaks highly of, of just, you know, he's not a Rutgers grad. You know, he's from Nebraska. His wife went, went to Wisconsin. They have really no ties whatsoever to Rutgers. They clearly have grown an affinity toward Rutgers. They, they want Rutgers to be successful. But yeah, to answer your question, he, he didn't want to participate. I understand why he didn't want to participate, but it would be foolish to not discuss Jeff Towers in, in some length. One of the final people we heard from was Greg Brown, and I believe he said there's no better time than now to donate to Rutgers. You, Keith, you've been covering this program and this school for a long time with their athletics. Do you agree with that? Do you think Rutgers is in the place now where other donors feel the same way as Greg Brown, and maybe this thing will keep moving in a very good direction for that program? Now, they've been in the Big Ten since 2014, right? I think part of it is the leadership. Tim Pernetti was a very popular figure among, uh, among the donor base. After he was ousted, the way it happened, there was a large amount of donors who were very disjointed from the program, never really fully committed to Julie Herman, her vision. I think part of it is a Big Ten, but I think more of it speaks to the leadership of Pat Hobbs, uh, Sarah Baumgartner, and just the leadership in place right now. The vision, you know, Pat Hobbs has really certainly inspired a lot of people over, over the last uh, 10 or 11 months. Um, I think it's a credit to him and, you know, his team, 
And I think that's what Greg Brown was alluding to when he, when he said time is now. I think he pointed to Pat Hobbs as really being the uh, central reason why he believes that. If the future is bright, these people are a big reason why. Thanks, Keith. Next time on the season finale of Rebuilding Rutgers from the Ashes. For the past few weeks, you've heard about the attempts to create a new culture at Rutgers and turn the football program around. But will it actually happen? Can it actually happen? Join us for a roundtable discussion on the future of Rutgers football under Chris Ashe.